Welcome in to Sport and Order, America's number one game show on the internet on Mondays, hosted by yours truly. Amazing contestants each week, and we've got two good ones today. Look at him. Wearing his Celtics jersey, feeling the sweep as Brett Brown just got fired. And the Boston Celtics, perhaps, uh, who knows, maybe they can make a run all the way to the NBA Finals. Liam McEwen, straight out of the East Coast, a diehard Celtic fan, Fordham University. He loves Paul Pierce, and he's on Sport and Order. Welcome, Liam. Thank you for having me, Mark. Appreciate myself being here. It is most definitely our pleasure. And a man who battled his way out of Illinois State, the Harvard of the Midwest. Go Redbirds, fear the bird, out of Glen Allen, Illinois, and a big Cub fan. He loves Ryan Sandberg to this day, fan-sided college sports editor. Patrick Schmidt, welcome. Good afternoon, guys. It's a tremendous honor for you to be joined by my presence today. <laughs> this is a true story. Uh, the odds are in Vegas, Patrick. You are a slight favorite over Liam, which is why Liam gets to go first. Uh, no pressure, by the way, as we have seen some favorites uh, fall on hard times in recent episodes of Sport and Order. Uh, but Liam, so don't uh, don't get intimidated by Patrick. He's uh, he's eminently beatable today. But we shall see. Scoring goes like this: It's Jeopardy style. First five questions, one point. Question six through ten, you get two points. And then our final question, question 11, you can risk whatever you want, and that determines the winner in sport and order. If you watched last week, sometimes contestants get very upset. Thank you to Sean Sharif. Question number one on this, 824, we love you, Kobe Bryant. We miss you, Kobe Bryant, even those of us who are wearing Boston Celtics jerseys. I think we all feel the same way. I'm asking the question, where does Kobe fit in the all-time debate? Amazing piece in the Players' Tribune today with Allen Iverson saying Bryant, for him, is number two behind the greatest player to play anything, that, of course, being Michael Jordan. Where do you guys put Kobe in the all-time, in your all-time list? Liam, go ahead. Well, to be in my top five discussion, you really got to have three things primarily as the balancing factors. You got to have rings, you got to have the stats, and you got to have the cultural impact unless you have something, one of those that outweighs the others significantly. MJ, indisputable greatest of all time, has that balance. Bill Russell has the rings. He has a ridiculous amount of rings. He has 11. And then Wilt put up numbers that we'll never see again, and they still continue to blow the mind. Kobe comes in at number four for me. He has the stats. He was one of the best players in the league, had a strong argument for the best player in the league for nearly a decade. Cultural impact. I mean, Mambo mentality is a widely known, universally recognized term almost a decade after. And, I mean, he got the ships. He got five rings. He got three, two MVPs. All right. I'm putting on my mask for overtime. Might have a deduction, but a strong point there. Patrick, what do you got? Well, there's no debate about who's number one. It's Michael Jordan. But number two, all due respect to Allen Iverson, AI, Number two is LeBron James, and uh, I really think there's no debate about the top two. For me, I got Kobe at number eight. Uh, I got Magic and Larry Bird at three and four, Wilt and Bill Russell. And I'm still going to put Shaq above Kobe. Shaq made Kobe, and it's not the other way around. So for me, Kobe, definitely a top ten player, just not a top two player. Ooh, Shaq made Kobe Patrick Schmidt. Shaq left and he won one in Miami. Kobe won two without him. I don't know. He did win all those MVPs in the finals, though, uh, while he was playing with Kobe. Only so one MVP argument. for Kobe. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm giving this one to Liam, uh, even though I, I'm actually more in the ratings with Patrick, but just, just a straight 
diss of Kobe Bryant on his birthday. That that hurt my heart, Patrick Schmidt. So I give him number eight for number eight. <laughs> eight for eight is 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 a is a good is a good solid play. Liam, you get uh, first dibs here. You are up one to nothing as we go to question two and we go back to the NBA draft lottery last week. Congratulations to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, unfortunately for Minnesota. There is no consensus, number one, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, there's an interesting name. Those are your top three players. Question is, what should the Timberwolves do? Who who should they pick, or should they go off the board and perhaps move the pick? Patrick, you are up. So if I'm the Timberwolves, I'm taking LaMelo Ball. This guy's been a star overseas. This guy's been bred for this type of role to be a leadership-type guy, be a generational-type player. Uh, pair him with Carl Anthony Towns, last year's number one pick, Jared Culver. I think it's going to be a dynamite combination for Minnesota to move into a, a new generation of T-Wolves basketball. Anthony Edwards, really good player. James Weissman, a, a talented prospect. But for me, there's no doubt it's got to be LaMelo Ball going number one to the Minnesota Timberwolves. LaMelo Ball, LeVar, come on down. Liam, where are you going? All right, I'm going to stay true to my Boston fandom here and urge the Wolves to uh, channel Danny Ainge. you got to move this pick. You have a 2021 top three protected pick going to the Warriors next year. There is no best player on this board. You move down to three, four, or five. You pick up an extra asset, and then you take your guy. You don't need to talk yourself into LaMelo Ball, who has a lot of question marks, even if he was outstanding overseas. And you already have your superstars on top of that. You have Carl Anthony Towns. You have D'Angelo Russell. You need that last glue piece, and you can find that anywhere in the top ten picks of this draft. Wow, trading down past the top three. Interesting. Uh, I'm taking, I think, the biggest swing taken here, and I, I don't know if it'll work out well, but Patrick Schmidt, I'm giving you the point. To be able to actually say you're going to take LaMelo Ball and welcome the Ball family into your organization is not an easy decision. But upside huge, and that team with somebody who can actually distribute the basketball could be very interesting there. Actually free up D'Angelo Russell to do what he wants to do. We are tied up at one. I have confidence, by the way, at the Minnesota Timberwolves. Whatever they do, they're going to mess this up. But we <laughs> shall see. We move on to the number two pick, which, of course, is the Golden State Warriors. And the Warriors still have those championship aspirations. So Minnesota not in the same spot as Golden State, still with Clay and Steph and Draymond. Question is, what should the Warriors do with the pick to help elevate them back to true contender status. Liam, you're up. All right, I got one player in mind, and his name is Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards has a lot of very legitimate question marks surrounding his game, but he has talent. Nobody can doubt that. You throw him on a roster where there's no pressure to really get going and succeed your first season, maybe he surprises, puts up a couple 20-pointers, 30-pointers, who knows. He learns how to play NBA-level defense. Worst case is that you have a pretty talented rookie sitting on your bench, Best case, you have a grade A-plus trade chip for next summer when, who knows, nobody knows what's going to happen with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And, okay, so keeping actually keeping the pick and making the Anthony Edwards selection, Patrick Schmidt. Yeah, I'm not taking Anthony Edwards to sit on my bench or potentially be used as a, a trade chip later. I'm taking James Wiseman, the Gatorade National High School Basketball Player of the Year, was a number one recruit. A seven-footer, and a no, while some teams have gone small ball in the NBA, especially in the Western Conference with like the Rockets, you're still going to need a seven-footer to body up against Anthony Davis if you want to get out of the West. So James Weissman, pair him with Draymond Green in that front court. You get Steph and Clay dropping threes. The Splash Brothers are back. 
James Weissman brings you something that nobody else in this class can do. You can't coach seven feet. He's the only guy that could body up with Anthony Davis over the next four or five years. So I am, I like the Anthony Davis mention, I am stunned that neither of you are looking for a vet to play with this Warriors team that's not young, or not old, but they're not young. So you both are going kind of the long-term play here. I'm, I'm thinking about packaging that pick. Maybe you package it and you say, uh, Andrew Wiggins, why don't you go along with it? But of your two selections, I'm more intrigued by Wiseman. So Patrick Schmidt, I'm giving you the point here as you take a 2-1 lead after three questions. As we move to question four, Patrick going first here. And I'm a little uh, – I'm getting attacked on Twitter for some of my Luka Doncic tweets. Luka's a great player, just getting a little – too much already greatest player of all time, top 10 love for my liking, but he is getting a ton of hype. 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists, the triple-double, joining Oscar Robertson, Charles Barkley, the only players with that level of a statistical accomplishment with the triple-double. I'm asking the question here, is Luka's step-back game built to last and will ultimately bring Dallas a title once he's surrounded uh, by better players. What do you think here, Patrick? Can Luca and Dallas get this done down the line with the way he plays? Yeah, first part of the question, absolutely. His game is built to last. He is the wave of the future. This guy is only 21 years old. He's going to be a, a phenomenal superstar, MVP candidate year in and year out. And when LeBron ages out of the West, he's going to be probably the MVP front runner. Um, you know, as soon as like 22, 23, uh, this guy is a stud and he's every bit worth the hype. He's got casual NBA fans turning in. Uh, for the NBA playoffs, he's got the Clippers potentially on the brink of a first-round exit. This guy is as good as advertised. The hype is justified. This guy could be superstar Hall of Fame material. Donovan Mitchell's averaging 39.5 points a game. No one's talking about him. I don't know why. Actually, I do, but we won't get into that. Liam, where are you going? I completely agree with Patrick, but I'm going in an entirely different direction with my argument. He's going to win championships because he ended up in the right organization. Dallas is has Mark Cuban, young owner who is driven to do anything and everything he can to win championships and surround his talent with what they need to do just that. They have He has a good running mate, and he didn't end up getting drafted into a sorry organization like Sacramento or Phoenix. It's just the truth. Those guys, those guys don't know what they're doing. Dallas does, and even if, I mean, Doncic's play, we've heard all about it, but it's about those those next couple pieces. Dallas already has one, and, I mean, sky's the limit if they can find another. Liam, I love that angle. You're, you've knotted it up at two here. Dallas was smart enough to trade up for him. Mark Cuban is a kingpin. He comes on my podcast. Love you, Mark Cuban. And if you look at the numbers right now, when Luka is off the floor, the Mavs are playing great basketball, so they've actually done a really good job of building this roster, and – we're going to add on in the future. So I do think Dallas is in a great spot. So we are tied up at two with Liam going back to uh, answering first here as uh, we end round one. Question number five, and now we focus on the Clippers. You're making me nervous, Clippers. Uh, and Kawhi Leonard says they're fine with Paul George not playing great. I don't know what's going on with Paul George, but he's been straight awful. Clips and Mavs tied two games apiece. Kawhi's working awful hard. Can the Clippers – win a championship without a high-functioning Paul George. Liam, what do you say? They absolutely cannot. They can beat the Mavericks without a high-functioning Paul George, but they can't go in and beat Los their other Los Angeles team. They can't beat the Bucks. I don't even know if they'd be able to beat my Celtics with Paul George scoring two points in the final three quarters and overtime last night. You can't win a championship if you're relying on Lou Williams as your secondary op uh, option on offense because he gives back almost as many points that, uh, that he puts up. So ultimately, no, they need Paul George to be a 20-point 20 point per game scorer minimum 
to even have a chance at the championship. And even then, that might not be enough. Even then might not be enough. That's, that is a legit against the Clippers take, which I haven't heard in a while, and I appreciate it, Liam. Everybody else, so for some reason, has the Clippers being the Lakers. Lee, uh, Patrick, where are you at here? Well, we saw Kawhi Leonard win an NBA championship without a, a number two stud. Could reach the potential that Paul George has, but if Paul George is playing like he's been playing this series, there's no chance they're going to get past the Lakers. Um, maybe not even Luka and the Mavericks uh, in the first round, but yeah, I mean, LeBron James would, would drink Paul George's milkshake all series long if uh, if that series came to fruition. So, yeah, there's no chance that the Clippers could win an NBA championship with Paul George playing the way he has. But I also don't think Paul George is going to play as poorly as he has so far this series. So I think it's just a matter of time for Paul George to get his rhythm back. We'll see him, uh, you know, dropping 25, 30 points a game again. Hey, okay, so you're betting on Paul George turning it around. I thought he actually was starting to do that late in the ball game yesterday. Then he drove to the hoop, got himself an easy layup, and he missed it. I like something is oddly going on with Paul George right now. But for that optimism, Patrick, I'm giving you the lead here, three-two after round one, because you're not worried, logically speaking, that uh, I guess that Paul George will get back to being Paul George, which I think is a, a reasonable take. We go to round two. Everything is worth two. And we start with my favorite show on television, which, of course, is the NBA on TNT. And Shaquille O'Neal, the Shaq Daddy, also a visitor to the Windy City Podcast. Thank you, Shaq. He signed a multi-year deal to stay on the set, which is sweet. Question is this. Who's the MVB, the most valuable broadcaster on TNT's number one set here? Is it Shaq? Is it Chuck? Is it... The Jet, Kenny Smith, or maybe it's even Ernie. Give some love to, to EJ for what he brings to the table. Patrick, what do you got? Yeah, well, Shaq and, and, uh, and the round mound of rebound, Chuck, they're the easy answers. They're going to have the great one-liners, the great quotes that, that go viral on Twitter the day after. But I'm going to go with Ernie Johnson for being the, the guy that wrangles all these, you know, oversized personalities and, and outlandish dudes and makes it the best studio show in, in sports, uh, you know, broadcasting. So, Ernie Johnson, the guy could do it all, baseball, basketball, football, whatever it may be. But Ernie Johnson for corralling Chuck and Shaq and Kenny to make that best show run, he gets my vote. Wow. EJ out of nowhere, EJ's neato stat of the night is that he's being he's getting Patrick Schmidt love. Liam, who are you taking? I am going to go with Kenny the Jet Smith. I think I agree a lot with what Patrick said about what Ernie brings to the table, and especially in terms of Chuck and Shaq. Those guys are the most entertaining ones, but only one guy on that set can break down X's and O's for an easy way to an audience to understand, and that's Kenny Smith. And you guys, you know, they can goof off on the studio all, all night long and have a lot of fun with it, but what makes that show the best NBA show on television right now is how well-rounded it is. You get both the X's and O's, and you have a lot of fun, and you don't have one of those things without Kenny the Jet Smith. So it's got to be him. So the Jet is my guy also, a DeWindy City visitor. And the Jet doesn't get enough attention here. I, I, I really think he allows Shaq and Chuck to take the star. And, and Ernie's phenomenal. Love EJ. But, Liam, I'm going with you here because nobody really gives the Jet any love. And I think the Jet does a hell of a job, especially breaking down the game. I love him up against the screen. My answer, though, like you guys went off the board. Like to me, it's just simple. Charles Barkley makes that show all day long. Uh, who he play for, all of it. Chuck, we love you. I love you. And uh, the down home Chuck, along with the, the humor and uh, the lack of ego, all of it. Chuck, Charles Barkley, you are the man. But you're all the show's phenomenal. That's why it's the best show on television. Liam, you're on top four three. As I give the NBA on TNT a little bit too much love. 
even for my comfort level. We go to question seven, and we're going to the NFL, and this is bizarre to me. The NFL had 77 positive tests that then turned into negative tests from a New Jersey laboratory. What's going on here, NFL? I'm confused. First of all, do you believe that this was a mistake that was in the laboratory? There's no real problem that the NFL is covering up here. And are you on board with the NFL's plan of what they're doing to try and have a season here? Uh, Liam, are they doing enough here? Do you believe what's going on? Go ahead. Well, I don't think there's any sort of conspiracy, any sort of cover-up, really, I, because the NFL is the most self-important organization in sports. Nobody is bigger than the Shield. And unless it is 77 of their most important players who tested positive, they're just going to play, play the cards as they like. And the NFL, it's next man up from the, every organization. They're going to, even if somebody goes down, they know people are still going to watch, so they don't really care about that. Do I agree? No, I think it's an egregious risk, even with all the money involved. But ultimately, they're going to have a season. They wouldn't need to lie about some kind of crazy conspiracy involving the tests. Patrick, you believe what's going on with this 77 positive and all of a sudden negative is just a lab mistake? Well, as you can see, I'm now wearing my tinfoil hat today, so no, I don't think there's any conspiracy theory, but I definitely think there's a big problem going on with this New Jersey uh, lab facility that turned up all these false positives. Now, it's one thing to have all these false positives, but it also raises a question how many false negatives there are. So either way you're falling down on this uh, spectrum here, uh, it raises questions about all the, the accuracy and the effectiveness of these testings. And, you know, what's going to happen on a, on a Sunday or, or an otherwise game day when you get players with false positives? And then what are you going to do? Push games back and back and back when we got guys playing on Tuesday? So it's a big mess on the hands for the NFL, but I applaud them for trying to play the season. I felt it in my gut when you just said false negatives, which I had not considered, uh, which is entirely possible, I suppose, that they're just missing guys. So, Patrick, I'm giving you the two points for putting that on the table. I really, really, we all really, 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 really hope that that is not happening. Uh, but who knows, as uh, the testing just seems less than perfect as we move to question eight, staying with the NFL. And let's bring in the fans here. Uh, Fans are going to be at some stadiums. The Chiefs are planning to be 22% full for their opener, around 17,000. Miami's planning on 13,000. My question is, is this an unfair advantage for some teams that are willing to take the risk and are getting the leeway from the state to do it? And the rest of the NFL, like my Chicago Bears, they're being a little bit more prudent. And Illinois saying, no, we're not doing that right now. Does the NFL need a universal fan policy? Patrick. No, I don't necessarily think so, but, you know, looking at society, we don't have a universal uh, policy in, you know, dealing with this, you know, you go state to state, everything is different. You look at college football, every conference is handling this differently. And sure, you know, it's great that some of these fans are going to be able to get into stadiums, but I don't think we're going to see these 65,000 plus fans in stadiums where there's going to be a true home field advantage. 13,000 fans in Miami, you know, 20,000 at Arrowhead. I don't think there's going to be an overwhelming noise factor there where, you know, there's going to be a true home field advantage this year anywhere in football. Mm, not sure. 17,000 Chief fans can make a lot of noise, although there is no tailgating, which might have an effect. Liam, go ahead. Uh, I think there should be a universal fan policy, but not for competitive advantage or disadvantage reasons. I actually agree with Patrick in that it's not really going to make a difference one way or the other. It's just the NFL just needs to be putting their best foot forward here, and you want everybody under the umbrella to be happy and like feeling confident about going forward like this and to have differing rules set up for each team, depending on how many fans can like to be in each stadium, how they're getting in, how they're getting out is a lot of complication that the NFL really just doesn't need to deal with. And so they should institute a universal policy to limit the amount of fallout from hosting these games. 
I'd love to see everybody get together here and, and do one is one here. And, and we're all in this together. NFL, you can't have fans. And um, if we can't have fans, however, we are living in a really, really interesting time right now. So I get why it's happening, but Liam, I'm going to give you this one uh, for, I think bringing up a, just a utopian vision of what it could possibly be here. Uh, so you are taking the lead here, six, five. It'll be very interesting uh, to see what the players' reaction is after these fan games and then coming home and you don't have anybody rooting for you, whether they care or not. I'm sure they'll all be happy to be playing, but uh, the fan part of this is going to be an interesting component as we move through, hopefully, the entire 2020 football season. Let's go to baseball, and we're going to start in Chicago, the home of Patrick Schmidt, huge Cub fan. So I wrote this one for you, Patrick. Before losing Sunday to those Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, had won seven in a row, smacking a zillion home runs. And Jose Abreu uh, looking like Babe Ruth at the end of the win streak, six homers in three days. Sox also had a six-game win streak earlier in the season. They've got a ton of young talent. Cubs, of course, have been in the thick of it for almost half a decade now, but maybe on the back end. Question is, are the White Sox the best team in Chicago? Liam, you do get to go first. They are absolutely not. I think they're a great young team. They're a lot of fun. We talked about it on my podcast, Mark. 17-12 and 12 is a great record for them at this stage in the game, but the Cubs are still 17-10, and 10, and most importantly, they are comfortably in the lead in the NL Central. I don't think that you can have a discussion about which team becomes the best team in Chicago until your winning actually means something. And for right now, the White Sox, they're still they're the third in, the, in their division. So you got to wait to you know see a little bit. I think they could be definitely maybe soon, but right now, got to give it to the Cubs. Patrick? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Cubs still. They're still the best team. They got the horses. They got the veterans. When Javi Baez and Chris Bryant get things going, uh, they're going to be the best team to get. Jose Quintana coming back soon. They'll either add depth to the rotation or stretch out that bullpen and bring in another lefty out of the pen. White Sox, they're looking great. You asked me this question in 2021, I'd probably side with the White Sox. But right now, they're like that, uh, you know, you go on a first date, you, you hit it off with, uh, with your date. And, uh, and you're ready to get married. I'm not quite ready to make that commitment yet, that leap yet, so I'm, I'm sticking with the Cubs. <laughs> Liam, you had that, that, that answer all day long until Patrick brought in dating, and that uh, is going to sway me. I am the dating expert. Yeah, I, <laughs> out of nowhere, Patrick Schmidt brings in dating life, so I'm going to give you two points for that. But uh, you all are nuts. If, if you put the rosters up for those two teams right now, there's not one GM in baseball that would take the Cubs roster. And I think the White Sox are even better right now. Uh, it's a miracle that the Cubs were able to get one win this weekend, but you, Darvish, pitched incredibly well. Uh, the, the Chicago White Sox, for those who are not paying attention, are going to be a real problem in the American League Central and uh, the entire league for a while right now, and, it's, and they're getting pitching too. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe the Cubs can actually get in the playoffs with that poor division as Liam underlined and uh, have some success, although the Dodgers are a huge problem. And that's where we're going, out to L.A. for question 10. Dodgers, clearly the best team in the National League. They're 22-8. and eight. They have by far the best run differential in all of baseball. They're plus 79. Who in the NL is best positioned to actually compete with the Dodgers come playoff time here? Because we know they're going to be there. Patrick Schmidt, who can compete with L.A.? Well, hey, we just talked about the Cubs. The Cubs have the horses and the postseason experience. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, they got a plus 22 run differential. They look really good. They got some young horses. But without Mike Soraka, their ace on the rotation, I don't think they have what it takes to match up with the Dodgers. So I'm going to go with the Padres, actually, led by 
MVP frontrunner Fernando Tatis Jr., only 21 years old, a former White Sox farmhand. Don't know why the Sox traded him for James Shields, but Padres winning seven in a row. They're hitting grand slams every night. So I got the Slam Diego Padres as a team most or best equipped to challenge the Dodgers coming out of the National League. Padres is a super fun team. They hit grand slams on 3-0 counts and then have to apologize for Story for another time. That was ridiculous. Liam, who are you going with? I like that pick, Patrick, but I'm going to go back to one of the teams you mentioned, and I'm going to go with the Atlanta Braves. As you said, they had the third best run differential in the NL with a plus 22. They currently have three guys batting over 300, and their best player is on the injured list right now. Max Fried has been pitching out of his mind. Bullpen has been iffy, but they got some steady bets. I just personally believe they have the faith to cobble it together when it really comes down to it, and they got the star power with Ronald Asunia when when he's healthy. Watch out. Ooh, this one is tough. I think I'm giving it to Patrick Schmidt to take a lead here going into question 11. Uh, as I am, mm, I just like that San Diego Padres team a whole lot. And a lot of, and people are starting to pay attention to the pods, but they're not really paying attention to the Padres. And that is one of the more entertaining teams in all of baseball, even though they're in the same division. It's all coming down here to question 11. You guys are going to write down on a sheet of paper, how many points you want to risk. Patrick, you have nine. Liam has six, as you can see. Whatever you want to risk going into our final questionnaire, you can be conservative or on the more risque side. A lot of ways to play this. The topic, by the way, I should tell you the topic. You can change your mind. The topic is college football. College football. All right. Liam, you're going to get to go first here. The question goes like this. Now, some of college football is planning to play this season. The AP poll, of course, is out. Clemson is one. And Ohio State is number two. But the Buckeyes are not playing. So the question is, does this college football season and the national champion, which I'm thinking will eventually be crowned here, actually belong in the record books if two of the top five power conferences are not playing? Ohio State is number two in the AP poll. How could we even be crowning a national champion? Liam, 30 seconds. What do you got? I got that you gotta, it has to go in the record books because the point of sports record books are to record keep. And nobody is going to forget about what happened in 2020. If there ends up being a champion, it should go in the record books with whatever asterisk you would understandably want to put there because that's what we need. We need to document the craziest year in sports history. In 50 years, nobody's going to look at that and wonder what happened in the year 2020. So I think that they got to be in the record books. It's not like they're going to award it just to whoever was the number one in the AP poll at the time, which is obviously a big problem with teams not playing being on there. They'll battle it out, and they just got to have it. There's Liam. Patrick, should we crown a national championship in a pandemic when two of the top five conferences are not playing? Yeah, if you play the games, you got to crown a champion. I mean, like Herm Edwards said, you play to win the games, and if there's a playoff, you're going to crown a champion. So – you know, the Pac-12 not playing this season, it doesn't even really matter when you talk about the playoff because all they do is get a token appearance. They haven't won a national championship since 2003. Even the Big Ten, no matter how good Ohio State has been, they won in 2015, but outside of that 21 title, Big Ten and Pac-12 have combined for two national championships this century. We all know the national championships come through the SEC and come through Clemson. Those schools are playing and those conferences are playing this year. So as long as we get the games, this championship will 100% count. It's going to matter. So you're both going with counting. And, Patrick, you make a very, very solid argument about uh, who wins championships year after year. And Clemson, of course, is favorite. 
to do it again this year. But I'm giving it to Liam here because he just reminded us that we are all just dust in the wind that no one's going to care about anything when they look at the record books down the line and none of this is going to matter. And that is an uplifting moment on a Monday for all of us to think about. That, yeah, you know, when they look at the record books, no one's even going to remember 2020 was a pandemic and no one's really going to care anyway either. So we might as well crowd a champion. Uh, Liam, you got it. How many points did you risk? I bet the house, Mark. I bet six. I went off for all six. Patrick, what'd you wager? Well, I wagered seven points. I'll be sure to uh, pander to the Windy City podcast guest next time to win. <laughs> <laughs> True. A tremendous effort by both contestants as per always. Uh, Liam eking out a 12-2 victory. Uh, Liam, uh, we always give our winners an opportunity to thank their parents or whoever you'd like to. Go ahead. I would very much like to thank my mom and dad as well as the big lead kept our record spotless. And, and, and Patrick, we always give our losers an opportunity to yell at the host. If you'd like to yell at me or Hunter or Richard, feel free. Yeah, I'd just like to thank everybody for the opportunity to come on. and. Um, let Liam agree with many of my comments and let Mark give him the points for my points. Awesome. <laughs> that's how you play the game, baby. <laughs> that is good bitterness, and that's what we appreciate. Sport and Order every Monday afternoon. You can check out the podcast as well. Thank you so much for watching today. Really enjoyed the conversation, the debate, and we really appreciate you listening. Tell a friend about Sport and Order. Congratulations to Liam McEwen, our winner today. We will see you next week.